I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, Luke 9, 23. God's Word says... And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Well, you are here in church on Sunday morning, so I assume that uh, the overwhelming majority of you are interested in being a follower of Christ, a Christian. And if that's true, then the text we're studying this morning is perfect for you because in it Jesus clearly lays out for us what it takes to be a follower of Christ. And there's a lot we could say about it, but the first thing I want to discuss is the difficulty of following Christ. You see these very first words in verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And that's really the focus of what I want to talk about today. And, and you see there that the first thing we know is that there's some difficulty to this, this uh, call to follow Christ. You know, how many people here today are excited that you're about to hear a sermon on denying yourself? How many here today are eager to take some time to try to figure out ways that you can practice self-denial? It's probably not on the top of your list of, of to-dos. I wonder if there's anyone here who would say, well, I'm great at self-denial. If, once you say that, you've probably negated the whole thing right there. Well, you might like the sound of self-denial. You, you may see it as an admirable trait that you want to practice in your life because you, you want to be a follower of Jesus. And you know that that's the call, to deny yourself and take up your cross. However, self-denial is fundamentally difficult for us. I don't think I have to convince you of that. This is no easy road Jesus calls his followers to travel. Well, I want to ex explain a bit about why self-denial is so difficult for us. And the reason the call to self-denial is so difficult and painful for us is that it strikes at the very heart of our sinful human nature. We are, by the fall, 
naturally narcissistic. Now the term narcissism is used a lot in our day and time, especially in reference to uh, certain people in politics. I won't name any names. But the term narcissism comes to us from the Greek myth about a hunter named Narcissus. And he was an extremely handsome man. And uh, there's a long story to it, but to cut to the chase, he saw his own reflection in a pool of water. And he was so smitten with himself, he fell in love with his reflection. He was so enraptured with that, uh, with that sight of this beautiful man that he just sat there and stared at his own reflection until he eventually became a flower, a narcissus, a, a daffodil. Well, the word has come to mean more than just being proud of your physical appearance. It refers to all forms of self-love, self-interest, self-centeredness, etc., all the selves. The Greek myth is simply illustrating for us fallen human nature. You remember in the Garden of Eden how the serpent tempted Eve and Adam. Genesis 3, 4 through 5, the serpent said to the woman, after she said, we can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we'll die. And Satan, in the form of this serpent, said, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now at that point, Adam and Eve did not have a fallen nature. They, they had not sinned. There was no sin in the world. But the serpent you see there is creating self-interest. He's accusing God of withholding something from them. God doesn't want you to eat of that tree. He's just trying to scare you so you won't find out all that he knows, that, you, that you will, if you eat that tree, you'll become like God, and, and he wants to prevent that from you. So he's just trying to scare you away from it. And then it tells us, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So see, they were being selfish, self-centered. They were doing something for themselves instead of doing what the Lord had told them to do. And that act plunged humanity into sin. Now some of you who were here a few weeks ago might remember I mentioned a theological phrase, a Latin theological phrase, uh, which is incurvatus in se, which means uh, turned or curved inward on oneself. And that phrase, this, this, this theological phrase, describes our human tendency to live inward for oneself rather than outward for God and others. We see it in our lives. There's a, a natural self-centeredness, self-interest, self-absorption, self-confidence, self-trust, narcissism, pride. We're full of ourselves. We seek to live autonomous from God. We, we don't want anybody telling us what to do. We want to be the captain of our own soul. And these are all illustrations of our 
tendency, our natural tendency to be curved in on ourselves. But there's more. Even if you just say, well, I'm not worried about myself. I'm worried about what everybody else thinks. Well, even that is curving in on yourself. You can call that the fear of man. You're overly concerned about what people think. People pleasers. They're turned in on themselves because they're overly concerned about what? About what everybody thinks about them, about me. That's all I'm worried about. I want you to have a good opinion of me. See, it's selfish, self-centered at its heart. They want everyone else to think that they're great. Or how about people who love control? Any control freaks out here? I'm sure there are. They desire to control their world, and maybe your world too, if you have a controlling person in your life. These people have an inflated view of themselves. They think they know best. They think they are big enough and strong enough and wise enough to control everything. And really, they're just controlling things because it makes them happy, makes them happy. It gives them pleasure to be in control. Then you've got people who live for pleasure. That's obvious. People who maybe even get to the point where they struggle with addictions, well, they're living for their own pleasure in those things. They're living for their own pleasure. Their desires are what matter most, and they're willing to kick everything else to the side so that they can have their own pleasure to do what they want to do, to indulge that lust. Selfishness can even come out in our service to God. You can imagine that. We can seek to manipulate God, to use God, to say, Lord, I'll do this for you, so you will do what I want you to do for me. And we often live that way. And it comes out when things don't go right for us. Well, God... Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? I'm a good person. I've done this, this, and this. Well, it's selfish. It's self-centered. I deserve better, God. I know what I deserve. You owe me. This is a typical mistake in thinking about God. If I'm good, then God will let me in heaven. This is not serving God. It's using God. And it doesn't work, as the Bible clearly spells out. Salvation is not by works by grace every sin has self-centeredness at its heart we see that even in you know we don't serve others and sometimes you can serve others for selfish reasons I serve you to feel good about myself that's self-centered even in serving others we can be that way so yes every sin has self-centeredness at its heart when we sin we are in effect saying I don't care what God says I want to do what I want to do, even if it is against his will. So you see here, denying yourself, Christ's call to deny yourself is not something that's easy for us. We naturally, in in all kinds of ways, even devious ways, are self-centered, self-absorbed, prideful, consumed with ourselves. And Christ knows that we must get out of ourselves in order to follow him. The word deny means to refuse to give thought to or express concern for, 
to refuse to pay attention to what one's own desires are or to refuse to think about what one just wants for oneself. That's what denying yourself means. You're not indulging your desires. You're not doing what you want. You're seeking to completely say, okay, what does God want? What does he want me to do? Not what I want, but what does he want me to do? I'm not even going to pay attention to what I want. Give myself completely to the Lord. So that's what, that's the first thing. And that's, that's hard enough, right? To deny yourself daily. You can't just do it once. You've got to do it every day because this selfishness just keeps coming back. It's like that game, you know, whack-a-mole. You know, where things pop up and you're supposed to hit it with this hammer. It just keeps popping up. And that's selfishness in our lives, self-centeredness in our lives. It just keeps popping up day by day. And we have to put it to death, as the scriptures tell us. So to deny yourself is the first part of Christ's call to us. But then take up your cross daily. Now, to take up your cross, obviously, in that culture, if... if if Roman soldiers showed up at your house with a cross, that's not good news. Uh, and, and, and it's a one-way trip, right? You, you take the cross and you go with them and you don't come back from that. It, it's, a, it's a death sentence is what it is. You're dying to yourself. Deny yourself and taking up your cross go hand in hand. You're dying to yourself. You're, you're taking the cross upon yourself and... You know, we use this phrase in our lives in, in bad ways. You know, we might say, well, it's just my cross to bear. You know, we, we use that phrase. We're usually talking about our mother-in-law, you know, who's, who's bossy or something, or, or our boss that we can't stand. Oh, it's just my cross to bear. Uh, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, what is he talking about? When, when, we, when Christ took up the cross, I mean, if we're following Christ and we're like him taking up the cross, denying ourselves and taking up the cross, well, look at what he did. What was he doing when he took up his cross? Well, the first thing that he was doing was he was living in obedience to his heavenly Father. Uh, he came uh, not to do his own will, but the will of one, the one who sent him, as he says in John's Gospel. Christ came to do the will of the Father. And what was the will of the Father? that he would go to the cross, that he would lay down his life for others. And that's the second thing. Not only was he being obedient to the Father to, to take on this task of the salvation of sinners, but he did it, as Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him. He despised the shame of the cross. He embraced it, and he went with joy to the cross. Why? Because he could save his people. Uh, he, he loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. So, see, he is inherently unselfish in that act of taking his cross. And that's what Christ is calling us to. To follow him means that we put a priority on serving the Father and serving others. That's where the priority lies. See, you inherently get out of yourself. You, you stop thinking so much about yourself and, and what you want and the attention that you get, and you push that onto others and up to God. Not for selfish reasons. That's the challenge. So it's not easy to take up your cross and follow the Lord.
Well, why would you do this? Why in the world would you follow Christ? It's very difficult. It requires you to go against the grain of your nature. Uh, it, it requires you to put God and others first. Why would you do it? Well, I want you to back up a few verses. To verse 20. You know, Jesus is having this discussion with the disciples about uh, who the crowds say he is. And it's no mistake that Luke puts this all together here. You know, all these people out there have their opinions about who Jesus is. And then he turns to them and he says in verse 20, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Two reasons we have here. Why, why would you follow Christ? Well, first, he is the Christ of God. Peter was exactly right. He is the anointed one, the, the Messiah, the one that was sent by God uh, to be set apart for this task of providing salvation for sinners like you and me, for selfish, curved-in sinners who are caving in on themselves. Christ has come for us. He is the one that was set apart to do this. There is no other. He is the only way of salvation. So that's most importantly, he, you want to follow him because what good is it, as he says, to gain the whole world but lose your soul? You know, you can have all these things that you desire, that you selfishly want, everything in the world you could have, but then you'll lose your soul. And you have these things for, you know, 70 years, 80 years. Maybe you'll live to be 100. But what about eternity? What about your soul? And that's the point that Jesus makes here. Secondly, not only is he the one, the Christ of God, but he suffered many things. He was rejected and killed, but he was raised again. And that just further reiterates the work of salvation that he did. That is the work of salvation that he did. He suffered and was rejected and he was killed. He, he became sin on the cross. He bore our sin there. Our, the, the record that was written against us was nailed to the cross as we just read there. And that's the second reason why you should do this. Christ is the way of salvation. Christ has provided everything that you need for salvation. And he has bought you with a price if you're a believer. He's suffered and died in your place. He's bought you. There's a great passage in Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. Book 3, paragraph 7. Uh, um, uh, yeah, and no, paragraph 1. Book 3, 371, however that is, whatever that means. I just read it. He says this, The great point then is that we are consecrated and dedicated to God and therefore should not henceforth think, speak, design, or act without a view to his glory. What he has made sacred cannot, without signal insult to him, be applied to profane use. And that's what he's doing. He's, he's called you to himself to make you holy, set apart, devoted to him, denying yourself, 
taking up your cross and following him completely. But if we are not our own, but the Lord's, it is plain both what error is to be shunned and to what end the actions of our lives ought to be directed. We are not our own. Therefore, neither is our own reason or will to rule our acts and counsels. We are not our own. Therefore, let us not make it our end to seek what may be agreeable to our carnal nature. We are not our own. Therefore, as far as possible, let us forget ourselves and the things that are ours. On the other hand, we are God's. We belong to God, not we are God's, but we belong to God. Let us therefore live and die to him. We are God's, therefore let his wisdom and will preside over all our actions. We are God's. To him then, as the only legitimate end, let every part of our life be directed. Oh, how great the proficiency of him who taught that he is not his own, has withdrawn the dominion and government of himself from his own reason that he may give them to God. For as the surest source of destruction to men is to obey themselves, so the only haven of safety is to have no other will, no other wisdom, than to follow the Lord wherever he leads. Let this then be the first step to abandon ourselves and devote the whole energy of our minds to the service of God commend that to you. You can find that on the, on the internet and I can point it out to you where you can go look for it if you want to. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that today? Have you been crucified with Christ? Have you daily taken up your cross and denied yourself and given yourself fully to the Lord to belong to Him. If you look at the front of your bulletin, uh, I've, I've put three words there. And um, this is, in, in this new year, I want to highlight this, these three things, because this is not only the, it's the purpose of our church, it's the process of our church as well purpose and the process. Three words, worship, fellowship, and mission. This is the first, most important thing we're about is worship. I keep saying this is the most important time of the week today. We're consecrating ourselves to the Lord. We're coming before him. We're loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and this is the opportunity we have to corporately do that each week. We're not only coming to express to the Lord our love and devotion to him, but we're also learning how to do that better. And that's why, we, why it's so important for us to gather in worship. And that's what we want to do. I want to keep reminding you week in and week out of the good news about Jesus and to encourage you to love the Lord and to follow him throughout all the rest of the week and the rest of your lives. Well, the second part of that, the, our mission as a church, our purpose as a church, is to provide fellowship. You can't do this on your own. Uh, you, 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 there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. Uh, you, need, you need the body of Christ. The, the scriptures make that clear. To be a follower of Christ, you need encouragement. You need other people's gifts, and other people need your gifts. So we need to be involved in, in the fellowship of the church. 
maybe in some smaller groups that the church has and Bible studies where we can share our walk with one another and pray for one another and bear one another's burdens and encourage one another on the way. And then thirdly, we want to be about mission. How can we take this good news that we enjoy, how can we who are enjoying the, the family of, of God, how can we serve others within the body of Christ, but how can we also serve others out in the world? How can we share this with others and help bring them into the family of God? So that's our purpose, but it's also a process. We want you to come each week, yes, primarily to worship. We want you to be here on Sunday to, to express your love for the Lord, but the second step is to get involved in the fellowship of the church not just on Sunday morning, but Sunday night and Wednesday night and other opportunities we have throughout the week to, to be in the smaller groups where we can study those scriptures together, pray for one another, and, and support and encourage one another. And then how can, you know, third step, third part of the process, how can I use my gifts for the building up of the church? How can I use my gifts within these walls with these folks who are members of here at this body, but also how can I reach out into my neighborhood, in my workplace, or wherever I might be, with the love of Christ and the good news about Jesus Christ. And that's and, and see and then when you do that, when you start when you come and worship and you get involved in the fellowship, you're encouraged in your faith, you grow in your ability to reach out to others, then somebody else comes in and they're at point one. They come to worship. And then they start fellowshipping. And then they get involved in mission, and they bring somebody else. And hopefully that will make the church grow and become strong. Well, it's all about what we're saying here. This is the perfect verse. Uh, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. To follow Christ means that we make the priorities of his kingdom, his church, our priorities. To worship him, to love him more than anything else, and, and to... Uh, love his people and to serve with our gifts, serve him with our gifts and serve others with our gifts. These are things for you to think about and pray about and, and I want to encourage you in all those things and, uh, and, and Lord give us grace. Who is sufficient for these things to die daily to ourselves? We certainly need encouragement to do that. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we thank you again that uh, you have given us such wonderful promises in your word. Thank you for giving us not only the word, uh, but the church as well. Uh, and thank you, Lord, for giving us gifts. Uh, you've given us, help us to identify our gift and our opportunity to be of service to your kingdom. Uh, Lord, we pray for, for all these things, these matters, that you would help us to die to ourselves, to the to the the life that we think we want to lead. And Lord, we pray that we would commit ourselves fully and completely to you, to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily and to follow you, to be more concerned about what you want than anything else in the world. Lord, give us that mindset. Help us to stay focused and help us to see how much we need the church. We need your word. We need the church to do that. Help us, Lord, to make a difference in our spheres of influence, wherever we go and whomever we interact. 
And Lord, we pray that all that would tend toward your glory. Help us not to be self-centered and selfish. Forgive us for that. Help us to turn outward towards you, first of all, and then towards others. And not be so wrapped up in ourselves and so self-interested. Help us, Lord, we pray, by your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.